What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 63 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. My name is Josh Cannon. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. How are you doing, Mike? Doing pretty good. School's going all right. Uh, I don't really... I'm surprised by how... Well, I have a decent amount of work for for, uh, college, for my classes. I'm going full-time, so I'm taking four classes. But everything's spread out really well, so if I'm... if I don't procrastinate as much, which I, I'm still working on, because uh, I, I admit it, I'm lazy. So uh, I actually have a good amount of time, you know, to do all this stuff and also po- have more free time. I just need to pattern my time out better. I don't really have a paper due until like October. Papers due until October. The first test is for a class isn't until the end of this month. So yeah, it's just been a lot of go to class turn in some stuff online and they're only like 250, 250 pages or something. No, 250 words. Pages would have been insane. 250 page essay uh, in a week. No, uh, 250 words and it's double space. So that makes a difference. Oh, oh wait. Oh, I, I'm talking about stuff. I probably shouldn't be talking about stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, Mikey, you're letting the most recent iTunes review get to your loss. Uh, no, whatever. I'm, I'm just I, not really. I was just. Uh, Let me make right one thing there. clear to all your listeners out here. Me and Mike, we're gonna be talking about stuff. We're gonna be doing the chit chats. Jesus, I think out of all my accents, that's the weakest one. Yeah, my, you sound like Ringo Starr there. For a I, I don't know. I sound like a <laughs> sound like somebody that uh, like sucked his his tongue in a blender or something just then. I don't know what the fuck that was. That was a weak ass accent. You people deserve better. I promise if you elect me governor of Massachusetts, I will do better. Um, I don't know if that was an Australian person or John F. Kennedy. You choose. Um, That's John F. Kennedy. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, I'm a dead guy. Um, you know, I don't know if it's, uh, you said something like not you're not doing the homework because you're lazy. I don't know if it's laziness. I think it's just because I, I went to college. I got my AA degree. I think it's just... It sucks so bad, you just don't want to put yourself through the pain and suffering of doing homework. Because homework, college homework, sucks. Well, this one actually isn't that bad, surprisingly. I mean, oh, write a poem for homework. Uh, Do a uh, 250-word response to some interesting articles for art history. Uh, Do something for... The DTC stuff's a bit... Digital technology and culture. Because the textbook we have... It's got and the stuff that we're asked to respond to is pretty dry and boring. So that's one thing where yeah, it is. It is that this this class is kind of the teacher is great, but the material could use some work because it's kind of it's really boring and dull and and kind of hard to focus on. But um, yeah. Well, I I found in my college career that was all my classes except for the ones that I was just like the most engaged in and the most interested in. Uh, every mm-hmm. pretty much, pretty much, my black and white photography class was the only class that I wasn't like, oh god, I gotta sit through this fucker for three yeah. hours, and you know, <laughs> it's just brutal, yeah. dude. I mean, that that the classroom situation, you know, I know they talk about all these new age methods None of, of learning my and shit. Are like two hours? 
So they're like only, at most maybe an hour and a half. Well, hour some of them, minutes. it just depends. It depends. Like some classes you only take once a week, and those can be like four hours long, which is just brutal. But like the classroom. Four hours long? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Some, in one classroom, just one class. Well, they they, you t- you, they take like two or three I don't know breaks. How the hell you could do that? It sucks. I mean, it really. I did does. a night. I did night classes for two days a week. You know, at Clark, and I and they were like two something hours, but it went by pretty quickly, usually, because there was a break and I don't know the material was pretty good. And then a lot of the times we'd actually work on stuff in class, and that would really make time go by a lot faster. I just hate, I just like the classroom atmosphere, the traditional classroom atmosphere is, is not how I learn best. Uh, I'm self-taught with a lot of the stuff that I do. I'm the opposite. Like, I can self-teach myself, but I, I, I get distracted too easily. I'll get on YouTube and spend too much time on there and then not enough, not focus enough. You have to have oh, a fire I, I, under your ass, Mike. <laughs> I need to literally light my ass on fire yes. in, order to, in order to get that done. Why, okay. why do you think my ass is always sweating? Is like there's a literal <laughs> fire that I'm always sitting on that's like, ooh, ow, ah, ooh, 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 gotta stay it's focused. Under, right under, it's right underneath your chair. You have like yep. a, a little, this uh, is a, a bundle of wood and... and uh, lighter fluid and you light it on fire this is a stainless steel chair and it (laughs) heats up to very hot and yeah basically it's it's my focus fire is what i call it ow ah, gotta stay focused ah ah, gotta make a video oh podcast ah yep that's 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 where the term came from it came from me um meanwhile i'm over here in jacksonville florida uh as most of you know by now um there is a huge category five hurricane barreling towards uh, our state, as we speak, it is. Uh, we are recording this. Uh, Hurricane fr- Irma. 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 This is a uh, Friday. It's a uh, 5:53 p.m. my time. Uh, I'm saying all this for uh, uh, documentation purposes. When the uh, fire and rescue find my body uh, and they find this SD card, they can listen to the uh, my audio portion of the, this podcast, and they'll be able to identify me. Um, so I now, in all honesty, uh, Jacksonville is on the uh, northeast end of Florida, and it's just I don't know. It's like how we're positioned on the map on on the state. Um, hurricanes do hit us, but it's not like South Florida or Puerto Rico. Uh, where that's kind of what I was thinking. Like because where you're located, you're not going to get the brunt. No. Of the hurricane. We, ne- we never really get the brunt of any hurricane. Now, if uh, some of you might remember last year around this time, because this is hurricane season, I was bitching and moaning about Hurricane Matthew because it had knocked our power out for about five days. Uh, I was still living at my uh-huh. pa- I was living at my parents' house then, and there was a downed branch on the wire, and the, the Jacksonville Electric JEA they uh they're so they were so bogged down with so many other people. Our house was like so low on the list. But now I'm living more in the city, living on my own. So uh, I'm looking at the power lines out here and I'm thinking, you know, these are much easier to access if something does go wrong. And there's a lot more people who live out here. So it'll be a a much higher priority than out where I used to live. So I'm thinking Mm. uh, it's supposed to hit land Sunday or Monday. Pretty much when I upload this podcast, by the time you hear it, I will be in the middle of a hurricane um, cycling around furiously, feverishly, feverishly. Um, all my possessions being thrown all over the place, me just dying a painful death. 
that's what's going to be happening on Sunday. No, I don't. I think. Well, well, that that's not what I heard. Like, uh, I was talking to Josh on Facebook, and he was like, "Oh, it's just going to be a bunch of wind and sticks." Yeah, wait. People over here are way too. Okay, Mike, this is a show. Okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to add a theatrical, entertaining aspect, and you're getting all realistic with it. <laughs> Now it's true. Uh, I uh, my predictions are, and you know this could be famous last words, but my predictions are: uh, there's going to be m- a little bit of flooding. There's going to be some twigs on the ground. Uh, there's going to be some crazy winds at some point. But I honestly, I don't think uh, you know there are just fucking morons out here right now, dude. It's crazy. Like uh, there are people like all over Facebook freaking out, talking about you know. Oh my god, gotta buy water, gotta evacuate, this, that, and the other. I'm like, dude, are you guys, like, new to Florida? Like, this shit happens every year, and it's never as bad as they say it is. And I don't blame the news, the like, the meteorologists for hyping it up, because they have to hype it up. Because what if they underhyped it, and they said, yeah, you know, it's gonna be a Category 2, you know, by the time it hits Jacksonville, no need to freak out. And then everyone's gonna go, oh, it's no big deal. And if one person died or if one car got blown over, then everybody would be like, why the fuck didn't you guys tell us it was going to be this way? So I think just to cover their own asses, the Weather Channel, the meteorologists and shit, they, they like overhype uh, it. I, I don't know. I, th- I think you just it's one of those wait and see type things. And, and it usually depends on where you are. So you might not get the full force of it, but it's it's just one of those things where I, I hope you stay safe regardless. And and I th- I want to thank everybody who's been checking in on me um, on Facebook, some of the listeners and all, wishing me well and all that. I appreciate it. It would be nice if it was a bunch of sticks, you know, that come in through the hurricane or with the hurricane. Like if you had the band Sticks, yeah, <laughs> come in. I'm sailing away. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, you know, the original lineup, too, with uh, Tommy Sean, Dennis DeYoung, and, you know, that would be in the, the drummer who died, or no, it was the bass player who died. Um, Definitely be rocking the paradise. That would be sweet. Um, and, and and even the radio stations here, like all the regularly scheduled talk radio programming has been changed to Hurricane Irma Hour with Rich Jones and <laughs> Fuckface McGee and... And they're like, I mean, yeah. they, you know, they got like, how can you talk about this for an hour? Dude, like, there's only like a little bit that you could really talk they, about. Maybe they, like five minutes. They managed, not to, an hour. they managed to stretch that shit out to like two or three hours. And I, uh, they make the whole radio program about it. <laughs> that sounds boring as hell. Oh, it, yeah. They're, and they, the calls no they take. No offense to, you know, the people who are worried about Hurricane No, Irma. no it's offense just... to them. Offense to the people worrying about it. I take back Mike's no offense. And I say offense to the people worrying about it. Because it's it's just gotten ridiculous at this point. And, I mean, these fucking... These people on the news are like, Well, uh, you know, we're taking another caller. So, uh, wh- so what fast food restaurant are you going to be getting when you evacuate? Uh, okay, we just got word. If you do decide to go to a pizza hut in another city, uh, pepperonis are a good topping. We just got that in. Um, uh, anchovies, uh, some people like those. I mean, that it's literally they're getting hitting the bottom of the barrel of shit they can talk about. Like, if you do go to a McDonald's during the hurricane uh, and they are out of mustard, um, 
Just get the burger without the mustard for now. You'll be fine. I'm sure they'll get a new supply in. Um, that's all we have uh, to talk about right now about Hurricane Irma. It's, you know, I mean, it's just... Um, <laughs> It, they've they've literally it's like okay you know all we can do now is just wait and shut the fuck up and see what's gonna happen and you know give us occasional updates on the storm but anyway that's what's all going right, on I here think we've i think we've talked about irma enough uh, except i do think that's funny that all of these hurricanes get these just names that are just completely unassuming or they really they attach these names to these hurricanes that are like really it sounds harmless or something it's like like hurricane Irma. yeah i think they try to pick names that like not a lot of people are going to have as to not like offend you know they can't call it hurricane dave <laughs> hurricane mike <laughs> all the daves and mikes are going to be like what the fuck man this hurricane caused millions of dollars in damage and killed people i don't want to be named after this shit uh, 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 conversely, Josh. yeah, I think it would be kind of badass personally, but um, so yeah, you know, I'm I'm re- you know I'm recording this podcast, guys, during the hur- you know before the hurricane. I mean, we got I I'm during I'm, the hurricane would be crazy. Well, like the, the, you're outside in the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Mike, I'd have to say if uh, Robert Stack were still alive, um, he probably uh, would be like, "Whoa, that's some crazy shit." Yeah, I agree with you. That was a crazy murder. All right, moving on. Oh, shit, a stick. Okay, sorry, Mike. I almost got hit in the head. Uh, There's a lot of rain out here. Our next case we're going to be talking about. Oh, fuck. Okay, a cow uh, just hit my car. Yeah, um, that would be crazy. Do you have cows in Florida? Oh, yeah, there's cows. There's none near me, but out where my parents lived. um... We got cows. Anyway, uh, we got some fresh hot new paradise lost but before we talk about that might as well uh, plug our social media to those of you who don't know about it i'm so proud of you you know like like really getting it, it only took you 60 like like 60 episodes to finally get into the groove of like this is kind of like a radio show to a certain extent so, so now you're throwing out the plugs, and you're getting into the, the rhythms now. Because usually, it was me who had to s- say all this stuff, and uh, I feel like sometimes if I didn't say it, it wouldn't be said. So I'm glad you're starting to think about these things. You're becoming a pro. Oh, uh, thank you. But as Mike was saying, if you would like to support us on Patreon, it's, uh, I almost said Facebook.com slash Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that, I'm sure Patreon does have a Facebook page, but Sending that any money won't do us any good. Uh, yeah, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. We have a bunch of bonus tiers, extra added benefits. Uh, for instance, uh, if my shit doesn't go down, uh, you will be getting the podcast early. If you're on the uh, Patreon $3 tier, get the podcast uh, on Sunday. Everyone else gets on a Monday. Uh, there's other things. I'm not going to explain all of them. If you want to join our Facebook group, it's... Uh, just go to Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. It's an awesome, lively group. Um, I, I, I want to tell people about what's been going on in that group lately, but I fear legal repercussions, so I'm yeah, not... Sh- yeah, so just join it. You'll see why. It's awesome. I shouldn't have even... I probably said too much already. Um, and then you can like just the regular fan page as well, which honestly does nothing 
but people love to go there and review the shit out of our podcast. They give us good reviews, but I don't know if that does anything at all. But it's nice seeing people saying that they like it. But if you would like to help us out and get our uh, podcast spread to more places, go to our iTunes and rate us on there. And preferably... And speaking of iTunes and podcasts, I want to plug another uh, Unsolved Mysteries podcast that just popped up. Oh, Mike. They're called uh, Perhaps It's You. And they're, it's hosted by these two ladies who are really funny and have great chemistry. And they have a sort of a similar style as we do. So, kind of, you know, laid back, conversational type podcast. They have a different sort of thing, though. They watch an episode and they talk about each case in the episode. So they're starting with episode one from Amazon Prime. So uh, that's already up. So give them a listen if you're a fan of unsolved mysteries and yeah dude those ladies yeah. are are hilarious man <laughs> like they have such a good chemistry already from uh, starting off from episode yeah. 1 and yeah they they're they're, they're like they're, they're yeah they're very much like our podcast i would say funnier than us um yeah my, i got to be honest in my opinion i i think that uh all these young ladies, they're they're going somewhere. I'll tell you what, they're just uh, they're just lovely young ladies, and I just I can't wait to uh, see what happens next for them. Although I think the going to Amazon Prime in order of uh, episodes, uh, that's that wasn't a bad idea. But good lord, man, that's uh, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that's a lot of work. You know, we we cut down to two episodes per segment, and or, we're not we're not talking about everyone because there's some that are just like eh, why not really that much to talk about yeah i mean i, I we're so. gonna save some I, I think we're gonna do another uh ba- bad unsolved mystery segments in uh, december i think i mean people seem to want that but um burn off some of those that we'd probably never get to otherwise uh but yeah no check them out and you know just think about that title perhaps it's you i mean how many times has robert stack said that come on that's awesome you can hear him saying so, right now yeah so yeah check them out Anyway, let's get started with the meat, meat, the meat of this podcast. We're doing another uh, episode about Paradise Lost, so we're going to be giving our thoughts on Paradise Lost 3, Purgatory. We're going to give you our opinion on the quality of the film, and then we're going to discuss certain aspects and elements of the movie that we thought were worse we're worth discussing not worse i'm worse this is the first time mike has ever reviewed a movie so please be patient (laughs) with him so anyway uh before i talk about the little synopsis for this documentary josh can give you a rundown on what this series is about for those of you who might not know for those of you who are rolling your eyes right now going, God, talk about unsolved mysteries. I don't care about this. Well, you need to chill out, mister, with your attitude, because this is a fantastic story. I'm surprised it was never touched upon on Unsolved Mysteries Pod because it was such a huge onion with all the many layers in that onion that it would have taken like three Unsolved Mysteries episodes to, to really dig into it. So... I'm going to try to give you the briefest of synopsises here. There's So far, uh, I went into this uh, kind of knowing about the case, but not really. I remember it a long time ago, mainly because all the celebrity attention it got. But uh, there's four documentaries about this case in total. The first uh, being the most popular was one that aired on HBO in the 90s 
called uh, Paradise Lost. Uh, and then I forget what the byline was of it or whatever. The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills. There you go. The Child Murders at Ro- fucking human IMDB over here. Um, brain, The Brain Trust. Um, but anyway, it follows the story of three teenagers who go by the names of Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles, and Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. They were charged with the brutal murder and mutilation of three young boys. Stephen Branch... Chris Byers and Michael Moore, uh, not the fat, uh, super left wing documentary filmmaker, uh, just a, a little kid, basically. Um, I actually like Michael Moore's documentaries. Josh has ADHD. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, they they were charged uh, essentially because they were white trash. They were poor. They were easy scapegoats. They were the perfect targets. They were into heavy metal. They wore black clothing. Uh, satanic panic had arose in this area and there were a lot of assumptions and beliefs that the murders were tied in with satanism and for those of you who don't know satanic panic was a thing in the 80s and 90s where satanism was talked about a lot in the news media and a lot of people were getting the false misconceptions that you know, a lot of crimes were committed because of the devil or because there's satanic influence, whether it was the music or whether it was how kids dressed or acted. There was this, the you know, that perfect phrase. It was a panic over Satan, 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 satanic panic. So these kids get thrown in jail. And, um, you know, it's the, the, the parents of the uh, kids who are murdered or were interviewed in the first documentary and one of the fathers, uh, which I didn't realize this, I didn't notice this until the most recent documentary. He's only a stepdad. He's not even his like biological father. Uh, Mark Byers, uh, the father or stepfather of Chris Byers. Um, no, he's the father. Uh, Terry Hobbs is the stepfather. Really? Because I could have sworn it said stepfather. And okay, but whatever. All right, so he's the biological father, Mark Byers. Uh, he was very vocal, very loud. Um, opponent against these boys you know he's very redneck although i could be wrong but uh either way he's the father okay but you know just and this these documentaries just in in total like remind me of my family and my upbringing because i grew up in this i'm still in the south and and you know all these people are very familiar to me all these different characters all these different kind of personalities it's in west memphis arkansas yeah so they get thrown in jail and kind of HBO, which uh, were the ones who released this documentary, um, the whole documentary always leans toward there's more to the story with these boys. Uh, there is more. There's reasonable doubt. There was evidence that was not looked at. It, it's kind of going in. It, it lets you draw your own conclusions. But at the same time, it's like there's something going on here. These three kids were obviously scapegoats of some kind, and it just goes deeper and deeper into, you know, evidence that was kind of overlooked, jury, the tainted jury, and the tainted judge, and experts who weren't really experts. And that's the first documentary in a nutshell. Very phenomenal documentary, shot very similar to how an Unsolved Mysteries episode would be shot. Very compelling and highly recommended. If you can stomach it, there there are some really intense yes. imagery in it, as well as, well, all of these have some pretty intense imagery, and they're all documentaries that 
I, I recommend, uh, but definitely understand what you're getting into. In fact, the, the first documentary opens up by showing the bodies of the children in the forest as they were found. Mm-hmm. So if so, like it, right off the bat, you're seeing dead kids uh, and they're not props. These are this is real police like video. So then there's a second documentary. Uh, it was called like Paradise Lost. Um, was it Resurrection or something? Revelation. Revelation. Not Resurrection. <laughs> okay, so basically, Resurrection. Basically, after uh. the first documentary came out in '93, it garnered a lot of media and attention nationwide, and a lot of people felt like this was bullshit. What happened to these three teenagers? So it started getting a lot of uh, came out in '96. '93 is when the murders happened. Okay, the God, I'm such a fucking Get your facts straight, Josh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, you people. Get what you pay for. This thing's free. <laughs> in case you don't don't know, Paradise Lost 2 Revelations came out in 2000. Okay, so that documentary comes out, which we've already covered, but just to give you a brief synopsis, that one basically chronicles the various advocacy groups that formed as a result of the first documentary a website's made free the west memphis three uh there's a particular team of people who descend upon west memphis and they're trying to basically be a voice of reason amongst all these rednecks they're also focusing on uh, damien eccles's new trial uh revelations of new bits of evidence and uh forensic experts and analyzing things and once again poking holes poking even more holes into the uh prosecution's case of the west memphis three and it also focuses in on mark byers as a potential suspect right the, so the it follows him around a lot so the father of chris byers the one of the kids who was murdered the the they they actually the fingers start getting pointed more towards mark the dad um this guy is is mentally unstable what we come to he's find a character out. in in the second documentary he's on six or seven different either antipsychotics or benzos or you know to, uh-huh. to deal Maybe he took that stuff even before. Maybe he needed to if he if he hadn't. We learned that he, you know, there was history of him, you know, uh, you know, spanking his kid and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. And, I, you know, however you feel about that, whatever. But that kind of comes out that there might have been some child abuse. And so the finger kind of gets pointed towards Mark. Well, he was also involved with uh, along with his wife, who has passed away. They were they were involved with potentially well actually I think they got convicted of this stealing like twenty thousand dollars worth of furniture and stuff from their neighbor's house. That he uh, was involved in a situation where there were these two boys and they were fighting each other and he just stood there with a gun and just let them fight. You know, it's because according it's kinda... to him, it was just his logic that if I, I you know it's a safe fight, I needed to see how they would. I think it was his son at the time who was he because it kind of got revealed that he just let them fight. Well, it was a, it's it's the traditional redneck mentality of you gonna take care of something, you gonna fight man to man, fist to fist, and you gonna fight it out in the backyard, and then whoever wins, you gonna shake hands afterward, and it's gonna be resolved. That's basically what was going on. That I don't know how many fucking times growing up, uh, that was that was the thing that was told to me by you know my relatives mm. growing up is. 
Oh, I'll tell you, back in our day, you just go out in the backyard and uh, it'd be fist to fist and you just settle it that way. You know, which gra- yeah. granted, that's better than guns and knives, you know, just but I mean, I'd say, well, let's not get violent at all. How about that? And be like human, rational human beings and come to a solution that way. Um, especially boys, dude, they, they don't need to be fist fighting each other. They're st- stupid. You accidentally kill somebody, you know, because you, they don't know what the, you know, oh, his eyes bleed. Maybe I should stop pummeling him. You know, it's not really boys don't really think like mm-hmm. that. I don't think so. Anyway, that's that's essentially what's what happens in the second documentary. The second one, to be honest, after seeing this in a lot of ways to me is a bit unnecessary. It's the weakest film out of the trilogy for sure. And although while it does while it does have its merits, it's just one of those where a lot of the things that are presented in it could just be presented in this. And if anything, it would just make this documentary even stronger. Yeah, I mean, I think looking back in retrospect, it's easy to say that the second film wasn't so great. But I think the the uh, like the director, the producer, all that, they probably weren't. They might not have necessarily been thinking like down the road, like, oh, we're going to turn this into a four, yeah. four part docu series. You know, they're probably well, just... they weren't really involved with the fourth film. But yeah, that's a different producer and director. Oh, OK, so I think they were just kind of following the events as they unfolded. They probably saw, you know, all the attention that that was garnered from the first film. They probably thought, hey, there's there's another documentary to be made here. And, and yeah. therefore, the second one was made. Um, but then even more events happened a decade later. And so that's where we find ourselves for part three. We find ourselves in 2010, 2011, 2011. Um, you guys can play a drinking game for this, this particular episode. Every fact that I've gotten wrong so far, take a shot. Uh, you should all be pretty fucking drunk right but now. If you've it, been it's doing mentioned that. as a 2011 film, but it aired on HBO in 2012. Holy shit, boss. But IMDb is confusing with that kind of stuff. They'll be like, oh, this movie was released in such and such time. But then you find out that, that it was released once at a film festival at that time, but it didn't get a wide release until a year later. See, it's questions which, like, which it's facts like these that like back when I would like do trivia gigs, I would hate asking any question like this where there's any kind of murkiness in the details because you'd always have some nerd after the game is over, walking up to me, shoving his fucking smartphone in my face, going, <laughs> well, actually, actually, uh, it, it technically aired in 2009, so technically, we were right when we wrote 2009, so technically, we should have won, and I'm like, well, technically, you're a virgin, <laughs> so sit the fuck down <laughs> and find a new hobby besides correcting me at a damn trivia game for $20 house cash for some chicken wings. <laughs> fucking nerd. But it's not about the chicken wings. It's about him being right. Because this is the only thing he can control in his life, is this trivia game. Um, So anyway, I digress. Uh, So yeah, we're on to part three. I just watched it last night. Mike just watched it an hour ago or something. Uh, Yeah, two hours ago. About two or three hours ago. See, there's another fact I got wrong. God damn it! I said an hour ago, and it was actually two hours ago. Which is it? You're too hard on yourself in this podcast, Josh. Just, Just breathe. Just relax. Oh, serenity now. Serenity now. <laughs> serenity now. <laughs> George is getting upset. Um. <laughs> so anyway, Paradise Lost Three: Bur- Purgatory. Purgatory. Uh, Purgatory is once again directed by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. 
and it updates the case of the West Memphis Three after the release of Paradise Lost Two. Uh, you were introduced to Damian Eccles's new defense team, uh, which is not the same as the one he had initially in the first film. And it talks about how there was this really big, you know, this outpouring of support for the West Memphis Three. And not only just from fans of the documentary series, but from pretty big people in the public eye. Uh, celebrities like Eddie Vedder uh, and uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp and uh, and the Dixie Chicks, which is funny because now they're definitely not a celebrity. Who who who, who remembers the Dixie Chicks anymore? Well, it wasn't the Dixie Chicks. It was Natalie Maines, the uh, lead vo- okay. lead singer, if you will, of the Dixie Chicks. And- well, one of the Dixie Chicks, a Dixie Chick. Yeah. Um, I think the Dixie Chicks honestly aren't aren't as big as they were. I mean, I on, like don't get me wrong. If they went on a tour and you know toured the South, they'd sell out every show still because I mean they were they were like Garth Brooks level you know back in the '90s. But um, yeah, Natalie Maines I think is the main reason why you don't hear much from that band anymore. Uh, she just alienated all all of her base. Uh, her base was a bunch of Southern loving. Jesus loving conservative gun toting you know people. I won't call them rednecks because I don't think. And ever- then she comes in and, and defends uh, the West Memphis Three. Yeah, and- defends the West Memphis Three. Uh, you know, I think uh, when nine eleven happened and she said our presence a dumbass. I think that was a final straw for a yeah, lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of her fan yeah. base. Now, if only she made like indie rock, like all her fans would be like, hell yeah, Bush down with Bush. But you know, she happened to be country. So. Yeah. So it, it talks about that briefly, but a lot of it is uh, retelling some of the stuff we are you've already heard or seen in the first two, if you've seen the first two already, uh, adding some new bits of information to those bits and pieces. And one of the main focuses, though, is on Damien and also the other two, well, focuses more on Damien, trying to get a new trial uh, and due to the influence of the popular celebrities who were supporting them, they were able to get a lot of money to be able to hire the best defense team possible with all of these just really highly renowned experts in forensics and FBI profiling and all of this other stuff. So they show you parts of the hearing with the experts, like the all-star team of investigators. And it also re-interview, it interviews some of the other people uh, who were involved with the case years later. You find out revelations about some of the parents of the murdered kids that is honestly pretty surprising. And then you get the ending which is talking about how they were eventually let free because they took an alfred plea so a lot of this is and and they also talk about another potential suspect and and another one of the stepfathers or fathers of the kids this is a definite stepfather i know that for sure terry hobbs who was uh, i think he was the stepfather of was it uh 
it wasn't it wasn't Chris because that's that's Steven, uh, that's Steven the, Steven Branch Steven Steven Branch. So that's what Paradise Lost Three focuses on for the most part. It's split up into I think three or four parts, and the first part just focuses on a lot of retelling of the events. But they show some really nice. Uh, I think it's like sixteen millimeter footage, which some of it's some of the stuff you already saw in the in the first film, but some of it's stuff that was not shown in there. And they show some news footage from around the time, which I thought was pretty compelling. Like the one where they show uh, the scene of when the parents find out that their boys are murdered, they're dead, and it shows the the emotion that they have right then and there. So there's there's some powerful moments there, but one of the biggest revelations that just absolutely stunned me when I first saw this, and it still is pretty shocking, is that the guy who was just constantly berating and condemning the West Memphis Three and all of that, and the first two documentaries had just a wealth of footage of this guy just slamming them as hard as he possibly could. Now, he's one of their biggest supporters. And that's John Mark Byers. Mark Byers. Yeah. Uh, Mark Byers in this in this particular documentary is a completely different creature than he was in the first two documentaries. Um, he is so sedated and laid back, but... You know, he still you still see some classic Mark Byers craziness towards the end. Um, yeah. But at the very beginning of the documentary, you see him and he, you're just like, man, you know, he's older and he, he's just more chilled out. Shows him walking around in the neighborhood and they go by the old house that he used to live in with his son. He's pointing to the window. He's like, oh, that was Chris's room. And then he says, you know, people bought into the rumors of devil worship and they, they wouldn't let their kids out. And. You know, everyone jumped on the bandwagon. And then the cameraman says, you jumped on that bandwagon, too. And he goes, oh, I led the bandwagon. And it's like, finally, you get an acknowledgement from this guy that you you were you were a very impassioned. Slightly, well, he even says that. I mean, I, I gained a lot of respect for for Mark. Because of this documentary. Because before, it was just a southern white boy, you know, who's just a total douchebag and just reacts solely on emotion. And it was hard for me to, you know, and I did I did sympathize with him for the loss of his, his son. But a lot of the average stuff, I was just like, you're just being an asshole, really. Well, so, it's just the kind of theatrics that, that yeah. someone would look at. It was entertaining, I'll give it that. You're 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 the type of asshole who's entertaining, but you're still an asshole. But I just look at that kind of shit and I go, like, people who really act like that, I, I just kind of shake my head and go, You are so fucking immature, dude. Like you're a full grown man. Yeah. Why are you going into the woods and making essentially effigies of these three boys and then lighting it with lighter fluid and going, I hope you burn in hell, Damien Eccles, I spit on your grave. Who does that except for to make a big? It sounds like it sounds like something that you'd see in the internet comment section on YouTube or something, on a video that you that either you or I made that was controversial or or talked bad about some popular thing and like 
I spit on your grave. Uh, Burn in hell. I, I, I haven't quite <laughs> gotten caps. those comments yet, Mike, but I, I bet, I mean, I, I guess you have with some of your uh, controversial takes on some movies, but I mean. I didn't like Wonder Woman and some guy was like, I hope you die. Wow. But no, I mean, it's like the only reason you do that kind of shit is if you are either A, really immature, or B, you're this flamboyant character who is putting on a show for the cameras so you can get a lot of airtime. And and that's kind of how I saw Mark for the longest time is that he was just some... Because if you looked at the other parents... Uh, you know, Terry Hobbs comes into this documentary, but even in this documentary, well, he replaces Mark. If you think about it, because a lot of, nah, he says a lot of incendiary comments. Nah, he's, in this. dude, Terry, not 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 in the same way, but he still says some incendiary comments. Yeah, but I mean, you like know, they should just be hung. But you know, he says that they should, they're guilty and they should be hanged. Yeah, but he's not going into the woods. You know, no, looking like like Hillbilly he, Joe going burn in hell. No, yeah, he's not doing that. But he, in in essence, though, nobody he tops, replaced Mark. Nobody tops Mark he, Myers. He, he, I'm sorry, he's not topping him. I'm saying he replaced him in the in the sense of he took his place as the as the father or the stepfather who is saying the West Memphis Three are guilty and they should die. That's what I'm saying. Fine, whatever. The parents of Michael Moore, or is, is my opinion, and they are they are interviewed in the first documentary. They're the only sensible people and like parents in this whole thing. They're the only people who I feel like really kind of took the loss, kind of how you're supposed to. They said what they had to say. They weren't happy about what happened, but then they've the, never been interviewed since. If I if they I haven't. remember correctly, you d- you don't see yeah. them again because they're done with it. They just want to. Uh-huh. mourn and move on they're not all up in the cameras they're not all up you know making this big show and all this other kind of stuff and yeah i mean i guess to a certain extent you're right because terry hobbs the stepdad of stephen branch in this documentary he goes on to sue natalie mains for defamation of character for some comment she made on the internet and so he has to go through a whole uh well i, I got that written down okay later. i won't we jump talk ahead about then. that later okay but um, yeah, it it is pretty surprising that Mark Byers is now one of their biggest supporters. He's got West Me- free the West Memphis Three stickers on his car and everything. Which again, and- it just go- falls right in line with this guy's kind of character. He's just to the extreme on everything. At first, he wanted them to burn in hell and die, and now he's their biggest advocate. I mean, you you all have someone in your family like this, like around Thanksgiving. The flamboyant family member who has to, you know, be just all look at me, all the spotlight on me. Like everybody has that family member in their family. I'm I'm okay with him making this kind of switch. All right, if the if the, the balance of power or the scales tip in this way, I'm okay with that because that means that he finally took a look at the evidence without emotion and came away with the conclusion that they're innocent. I think Mark Byers, and I, and it, he needs his own spinoff. <laughs> he needs his own reality show, dude. I'm serious. This guy is reality show material. Like, these are the kind yeah. of kooks that they look for when it comes to yeah. reality shows. But, I, I, like I said, I, I have a lot of respect for him now because of, of what, he, what he said and, and the stuff that he was shown doing in this documentary. He came across as as pretty humble to me. 
I don't have I don't have any respect for him because I just don't like how he acts. I don't like his immature behavior. And I feel like his emotions can turn on a dime. Yeah, yeah, but I, I have respect for him because he was man enough to admit he was wrong. Like he said in the documentary, wrong is wrong. And I was yeah, wrong. Well. So speaking of people who are wrong, uh Inspector Dr. Phil <laughs> uh Gary Gitchell is interviewed again and he's the only thing he admits he was wrong about was his remark of the case being an 11. Like if you were to rate this case on a scale of 1 to 10 and he said I'd say it's an 11. Now who was Gary Gitchell for for those of G- you? Gary Gitchell like I said is the easy inspector uh he he's the inspector who was the head of the investigation, the police investigation on the murders of the three boys in West Memphis. And back in the first documentary, he was asked by the media on a scale of one to ten, how strong do you think you ha- how strong of a case do you have against these boys? And he was quoted as saying eleven. Yeah. And so he says in the in an interview in this, I regret that. Uh I, I should have said something else or something like I shouldn't have said that. But then later in the documentary, he's just saying stuff that just like, come on, man. Like he was even like that in the second documentary. He he he, he refuses to admit that he's wrong, that he fucked up, that these these men are innocent. He refuses to admit that, even with the overwhelming amount of evidence that's provided in this documentary. He even says stuff that's just completely delusional, like. The uh, the documentary uh, didn't reveal everything. It was biased. It, it showed certain things. It it didn't show the whole story. And then the person who's interviewing him is like, uh, everything that was talked about and anything regarding to this case is available to the public. Are are you hiding anything? Are you saying that there's some secret? evidence that was not provided by the documentary he's like no i'm not saying that it's just it's just if people would have seen the evidence without seeing the documentary if people had the same if people had the same bias and racist if they had that (laughs) same kind of hatred in their heart as i did then they'd see this case totally different if they you know, I mean, you can't tell me when you go to the mall and you see some little punk wearing a black shirt and black jeans and black fingernail. You can't tell me he ain't a little freak of nature worshiping the devil. I mean, if you so if you had that same prejudice as I did, then you'd see this case a lot differently. That's basically what he was saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was so so frustrating that even after all all these years later and with the new DNA evidence that this documentary provides that he's all still like, they did it like how? Yeah. And the judge, the original judge was the same way. You just want to slap these people in the face and go, dude, you are such a prick. You're ruining three people's lives. You fucking cunt. God, like you just want to call (laughs) him like you fucking cunt of a judge. Stop just being a good old boy and open your eyes to the facts and the evidence of the situation. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> so speaking of evidence, uh, this documentary, it, it revealed a little nugget of information that I don't remember correctly if it was introduced in the first film or not, 
but this one is pretty telling and i and i truly do feel they kind of glossed over it a little bit but it's just a little piece they couldn't have gone that in depth on it anyway but if this was actually admitted into evidence this could have been huge uh, apparently jason baldwin was at school during the time the murder supposedly occurred according to the coerced testimony by jesse miskelly his mother actually had proof of this in the form of school records that Gitchell and his officers refused to accept or allow his mother to hand over until Jason was already arrested and in court. They say he skipped school, but he didn't. I feel that if these records were provided, that would be a bombshell that would have easily exonerated J Jason, at least, if not the entire West, Mem West Memphis Three, if it was admitted into evidence. And I'm kind of fumbling on my words because it's just emotionally, it just upsets me so much. Yeah, that's one of many uh, aspects that were glossed over and ignored. And this is another one. Jesse says that he was at a wrestling match in Dias, Arkansas, during the time the boys were possibly murdered. And I'm wondering, why didn't he or, or his defense provide records to prove that he was at this wrestling match? I would feel there had to be some kind of sign-in sheet for the match, or, or maybe there wasn't, but this is another key point. If there was a way to prove he was at the match, there is absolutely no case at all for any of these three being involved in the murders of the three boys, let alone anywhere near the scene of the crime. Yeah. Speaking of Jesse Miss Kelly, uh, he's one of the first boys... Uh use the term boy very lightly here he's one of the first people you he's see. a grown man now. yeah he's yeah. one of the first full-grown men now you see in this documentary and now you gotta figure uh the last time we saw them was in part two which was released in 2000 but was filmed in 90 well no okay let me just it was released in 2000 so they were in their what late teens early 20s by then mm -hmm. so then we see them like 10 years later and holy shit balls jesse aged like hell well, that, that happens to a lot of people in prison, especially a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of stress. I could not believe how bad uh, he aged, dude. He was like, it, like you see him, and it's like, bam, you know, like prison right there. Well, I think they're in the thir their 30s, right? Yeah, yeah, them. but I mean, like, Damien looked all right. Like, he didn't look, he, you know, he, he looked like he... He was older, yeah. He aged pretty good. He pretty much kind of looked how you would expect, and... Uh, Jason looked... Jason looked pretty haggard. Jason looked like a, yeah. a very frustrated computer, uh, like, programmer. <laughs> IT. Yeah, IT. Computer IT guy. He looked guy. like a frustrated <laughs> IT guy, but Jesus, dude, Jesse. I'm tired of having to tell people to turn off and on their computers. Yeah, Jason, uh, Jesse, he, he's bald or shaved head now. It looked like he gained, like, 50 pounds. Because he was a good-looking kid before, you know, like, when he, you, like, you look at him, it's like, oh, he's a good-looking kid or whatever. I think he might have been the older one of the three. Oh, well, uh, they, they show him now, and he just looks like complete ass. And then it just, like, hits me like a ton of bricks. Like, damn, time. He has a tattoo on his head, too, of a clock. Yeah, like an old-school clock. And when he gets out is when he's going to get the hands of the clock tattooed on the top of his... Why the top of his head? I'm not sure. I just imagine how painful that probably would have been because well, it's a jailhouse tattoo. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. I mean, kind of hard to hide that from the prison guards. That, uh, hey, you get a tattoo? No, sir. 
This is just my birthmark. <laughs> you know, like, kind of, like, I don't know, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. But yeah, Judge Burnett was the guy, not Barnett. Burnett, like, he's clearly biased, along with Gary Gitchell, because he continually denied every appeal from Damien for decades. Just constantly denied, 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 access denied, appeal denied. And uh, then there's uh, the information that's provided by the all-star team of investigators. And it is absolutely, it's amazing what they were able to uncover. And it's like, wow, how did they not figure this out back then during the time of this trial? But then one of the stuff, though, they didn't have the ability to do yet. The technology wasn't available yet to do the type of DNA testing that they were able to do around the time of this documentary. So they raised enough money, the free the West Memphis three fund and all of that to hire this all-star team of investigators of uh, maybe investigators isn't the right word, but forensics, forensics analysts and, and FBI profilers and all this other stuff, big names too. And they reviewed the evidence. They did DNA testing and they discovered that there was no trace of the boys DNA. I mean, I mean the boys at the time, you know, the, the West Memphis three, there was no trace of the West Memphis threes DNA on the bodies of the murdered boys. To me, that just proves without a doubt that they're innocent. Well, the thing about the crime scene that they were mentioning in the documentary is that it's such a quote unquote, like blank blank slate, blank slate of a crime scene because there's just no, there wasn't really anything to go on. It could, you could, you could kind of insert any crime, any kind of scenario that you wanted to into that crime scene. And it would have fit with, satanic ritual sacrifice animal attacks you know some of the scars on, or the the, the wounds well, on the I kid's mean, face well you find out that later but i'm just saying when it comes to the blank slate they just oh it was satanic sacrifice it was these three boys did it and they did it with a knife that they found in a lake behind damien's house yeah which the forensics Guys, they come out and completely disprove that theory here where, like what Josh was saying earlier, the animal attacks, where the guy was just matter of fact about it. It was pretty, pretty badass about the way he was describing. He was just like, this is just animals. (laughs) It's just like all the injuries seen on the boys in the pictures from are from animals after their deaths. And he shows images that show that there are obvious scratch marks on the bodies and it proves that none of these injuries could have been done by a knife let alone the one that they brought out as evidence in the original trial it's just so funny to me how like they just the original like judge and prosecution and all that they were just looking at this going oh they were devil worshipers that it's clear it's clear as day they were just it's so it's such an old just classic Salem witch hunt in like every sense of the word. Well, he, speaking of Salem, there there was an interview with one of the the fathers 
from back in the day, and he's talking about how the, uh, they should just. I think they did it. They killed. They killed the. They killed the boys. They killed my son, and and they should be burned at the stake, like at Salem. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's. That's why this case got so much attention is just because how archaic it was. Well, not just that, but also because it's it's a murder of three boys in a small town in America's heartland. No, I don't I don't think that's why. That happens all the time. There's little kids that are murdered all the time and Yeah, it, but it's not it's it's how graphically they were that it, it's How many times have you seen three boys murdered at the same time? Found at the same place, same time type deal. Especially when it comes to in this sort of small town atmosphere in the South. There's a re and also the, the, the three boys that were convicted of the crime. That was, it wasn't just the three boys murdered. It was the three boys that were convicted of the crime as well. Which is kind of, kind of goes into my point. I'm saying it was, it was, like the three boys and it was turned into a witch hunt. That's why the case became. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it's not, it's not just a witch hunt aspect of it because I'm pretty sure a lot of reporters at the time probably had their own ideas and thought that they might've done it because of the evidence that the flimsy evidence that they were provided with. Anyway, let's move on to our next point. So speaking of investigators and uh, of, of uh, stuff that happened around the time of the initial trial, there's information, there's a bombshell that's dropped here that the investigators didn't look through thoroughly through all of the information provided on the case. The crime scene investigators had actually recovered a bunch of animal hair, but it was ignored or left out or... To me, this is jaw-dropping because just like the other stuff that you saw in the first film, that we saw in the first film, or maybe you did too, it reeks of either incompetence or a deliberate witch hunt. And I think it might be an, a combination of both. Because I, I think they're, the police department in West Memphis at the time was pretty damn incompetent, as evidenced by the stuff that happened in the first film where the lady was like, oh, I just went and got chicken and didn't investigate this potential lead because it wasn't in my jurisdiction. Or the, the the cops who lost evidence. Or that quote-unquote expert that they brought in on the occult. This guy is... Oh, yeah, Dale Griffiths. Yeah. They, they have him... They interview him again. And he still believes that they're guilty, too. Uh, he says that he was asked to investigate satanic activity in West Memphis during the time of the murders, before the murders occurred. And he brings out this old ass facts of some drawings that Damien did. And I'm like, and he's like showing us a clip of some 2020 special on satanic murders and satanic panic in 1985, where he would, he was interviewed on. I'm like, total narcissist. Oh yeah. <laughs> Look at me. I was on TV. Cause even like that, that proves even like turns back to the camera while we're watching his yeah. s- segment on 2020. And he like winks at the camera. Like, wow. <laughs> hey, oh my God. You know, like I'm credible. Cause I was on TV. 
Well, Judge Barnett, during the, the original trial, he said something like, well, I think anybody can be an expert in a certain field, uh, even if they don't have the proper training or haven't gone to well, school. No, they, they no, a, to, they, 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 the cross exam, he was being cross examined, uh, the Griffiths guy. And yeah, it was basically saying, like, how, how many class college classes did you take? to become an expert, you know, what kind of degree did you have? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I didn't take any classes. And the judge... He got his degree online. Yeah, it was like a mail-order degree or something like mail that. Mail-order thing. The equivalent of what it would be like today if, if you get your degree online. So, the you know, the judge basically, like, speaks up and he's like, well, I don't feel like you need a degree to be an expert. You know, if you have the right training, if you have the, the yeah. years of, of expertise... If you have the blah, 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 blah. There, there's something to be said about that. But the way he worded it was just kind of batshit to me. The judge basically <laughs> just like it. sloughed it off, you know, the point they were trying to make and was like, you know, I'm not impressed. You know, what's I don't care if you have a third degree education, if you're uh, if you know what you're doing. I'm like, how the fuck can you know what you're doing in this in a in respective field? If you're an ex, if you have a third, what are you an expert expert in janitor? Be an expert janitor? Are there such uh, such things as experts in janitorial services? Because <laughs> I, I I'm just it just it, it's baffling. I mean, and that's just in the first one. I mean, there's uh, what, just so many. After seeing so all that stuff. stuff that's going on, you know, in the courtroom and all this, I, I just you know, it, it's it's impossible not to think these kids are so fucked. If this if yeah. this is the level of dumbassery that we're dealing with. You know, then then these kids are screwed, you know, and they ended up yeah. being screwed for seven years. Well, speaking of being screwed, speaking of these kids being screwed, there's another bombshell that's dropped where uh, the jury foreman of the case for Damien and uh, Jason Baldwin, who were tried at the same time, Kent Arnold, he was considering information he should not have been considering at all. And not only that, he believed that they were all guilty. He thought that they should be convicted. He wanted badly to get on the jury. He already had these preconceived notions in his mind, like I felt when I when I discussed parts of this case and, and other parts of this series we're doing, that people just made up their minds before they even put in a verdict. And this is proof of that. And the fucking foreman of the jury is a guy who got on the jury and he's quoted here because of dumb judges and dumb lawyers who didn't ask him specific questions this guy was unequivocally biased and he introduced evidence that was barred from the courtroom and banned from this particular trial the jesse's confession which was not accepted evidence in this trial. And he showed it to the jury in the trial for Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. People say, oh, I've had faith in the jury. That is a rigged jury. There's uh, some interview, there's some stuff that's involved with uh, Terry Hobbs and. Uh, He's now a suspect. He also is really headstrong in his belief that the West Memphis Three are guilty. 
that Damien killed his son. There was a hair that was found on one of the shoelaces of one of the boys at the crime scene. It was DNA tested. Uh, they said it could potentially be from Hobbs, but it's not really that great of a piece of evidence at all. It doesn't really point to him, but it could be. But what? It, but it is a nice uh, bit of evidence because at least to exonerate the West Memphis Three because they did g- genetic testing and they found out that this hair cannot be linked to any of them, to any of the West Memphis Three. So that's another piece of DNA evidence that shows that they could not have possibly done this. But you have an interview with with Terry Hobbs and his family, I think his brother and his wife, and they're all talking about, well, the jury made their decision and uh, they went through the justice system. They did all of this and the jury came back with their verdict and they were guilty. And and that's what I believe. And I, I can't believe these people. I really can't. No offense. But you got to be somewhat fucking thick in the head. You got to be somewhat. This is stupid. I don't care if I offend anybody. It's fucking stupid. You have to be. Thick in the head. I know you want to say it so bad. (laughs) Everybody knows what you want to say but you get you but the beauty is by you not saying it everyone knows what you're trying to say yeah i might as well just fucking say it idiots okay no, no, this I, is idiotic I, I think it was a, a little bit more intense than that but we all know what you meant what what a bunch of dumbasses <laughs> but yeah really that that that's they're like they're until ev- the one that really got me is until evidence is shown that says otherwise there is evidence it's right here the dna evidence it doesn't get more conclusive conclusive than that and there's still people well i believe that they did how the fuck can you do that but this kind of stuff just wor- really gets me worked up because it's a miscarriage of justice the the justice system, which is supposed to uphold the law and protect us, is can be corrupt like this. And then you can have instances where it's so absolutely 100% incorrect. And there's things that are provided that show this, but people still steadfastly hold strong to their belief that they got it right. Despite the evidence that says that they got it completely fucking wrong. So this documentary is now put their sights on Terry Hobbs, the stepdad of Stephen Branch. And they, he didn't help. He didn't help at all when he filed a defamation suit against, uh, the lead singer of the Dixie chicks for statements that she made online about how the evidence might prove that he did kill the boys. Yeah. He was subjected to questioning by Maine's attorney and it comes out that he beat his girlfriend back in the day or his wife or whatever. Yeah, his wife. Yeah, And uh, Pam. He, he did that for kissing, quote, kissing that Mexican in our living room. And th- well, it wasn't just that because there was other stuff, too. He assaulted his wife before he assaulted her brother and shot him. Oh, yeah. Well, that happened, too. Um, yeah. But it just and he was saying in in the. The defamation uh, hearings, he was taught they they were totally grilled him. 
And he was saying stuff like, oh, I'm not, I don't, I don't harm people. I wouldn't harm anybody, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what about this? And it was on the news. <laughs> but the, his, the, her brother being shot by him and that he assaulted her and they broke up. And there's interviews with Pam. I think it might be from around the time of the first documentary. And she's saying, you know, he, he you know, things weren't that great. You know, she was basically insinuating that things were rough even before they decided, even after, I mean, even before the their their son died, things were rough, and she probably would have broken up with him anyway. So the finger of blame starts getting pointed to Terry for various reasons. He didn't have a good alibi for two hours of time on the day that the boys went missing. The boys He says he didn't see the boys on the day that they were murdered, but one of his neighbors, Jamie Clark Ballard, says she saw him with the three boys on the evening of the murder at 6.30 that night. He doesn't have an alibi because the guy he said, the, 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 his friend, he said he was hanging out with his friend. His friend's like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't hanging out with me. So I can see why. I don't think he did it because there's not enough evidence to really truthfully show that he did it. I don't think he's a good. I don't think he's a good guy. I, I yeah. I, I think he's got some, some issues. Clearly, um, but I don't think he did it. Yeah, I don't think. But I don't think he he's did got it some either. problems though, and he should have been investigated by the police. He should have been the prime suspect. Oh, in the original investigation. Oh yeah, and then crazy old Mark Byers comes back in again with his fucking school pro his fifth grade school project <laughs> that he made it's like one of those uh styrofoam boards that you 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 make you know it was cardboard but yeah whatever it, that, that's like the gatefold cardboard that opens yeah. up that you would make like totally. a school project on in fifth grade he comes in <laughs> with one of those and he made he's got a little uh, line that goes down the middle and he's got the innocent side the reasons why terry could be innocent and there's like two reasons and then he's got the guilty side, and it's like this whole laundry list full of like reasons why Terry is most likely guilty. And so now Mark has focused his crazy, uh, erratic attention onto this guy, and now Mark's all about. Yeah. I just want to know what what he was at, what he was doing, and you know they the uh, police were investigating me all the time, but they never investigated him. They never. Well, he's got a he's got a point there. They they didn't investigate. Uh, terry at all like they didn't even interview him again i feel like if terry was i mean they did interview they did interview him but they didn't interview his neighbors or anything like that yeah he's he's attached himself to him for sure i feel like if uh terry had also been in the woods setting things on fire acting like a fucking nut job maybe they probably would have looked at him harder you know does mark ever stop and consider that his actions are possibly Uh, he did that later like after he was yeah, and that's I feel like that's when they started focusing on him. No, I thought the fire thing the fire thing was in the second episode. The second documentary. Like years later. I think the fire was in the first one. Sure? No. By no means am I sure. <laughs> I think either way, I think Mark's actions are what Oh yeah, absolutely led, you know, the police to kind of look at it. And then he like gives somebody a knife at some point. Yeah, he gave one of the producers. You know, if Terry was out, Terry Hobbs, if he was out here doing all this similar shit, I guarantee the police would have been. Fu- yeah, but the the thing is though, it, when you're doing an investigation, 
you have to follow all possible leads. Okay. If you, if they didn't even, they interviewed him, but they didn't go and talk to the neighbors. I mean, that is messed up. Well, I no mean, how you as we've it, seen them not interviewing the neighbors, but interviewing the neighbors uh, of Mark Byers. I mean, come on. Well, you know, to say to say that the West Memphis, Arkansas police force is incompetent, that would be an understatement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think this might have been on purpose or maybe not. Who knows? Probably. Like I said, it's probably a horrifying combination of both, which is really horrifying. A police force that isn't just incompetent, but it's also corrupt. And speaking of corruption, uh, the state of Arkansas and Judge Burnett is still clueless, thinks that DNA evidence is not substantial enough for a new trial or to overturn the convictions. Yeah, he actually said that. He was like, it's not substantial enough, the new DNA evidence. Then what the fuck is, Judge the judge believes that all means that all means all in terms of the all evidence of guilt, and that is to be looked at and evaluated, but not the evidence of innocence. The stack was decked against the West Memphis Three from the very beginning, because the judge is like, all means all, but uh, in my deluded mind, all means all in terms of all the evidence of guilt, but none of the evidence of innocence. Yeah, I mean, totally. The deck the deck was stacked against them. I mean, I, I felt that way when I saw the docu- documentary for the first time, the first film. And this just is proof. Just more evidence, more fuel to the fire. It's still shocking, though, to believe that the justice system would be this corrupt. The police, okay, we've heard of that. But the judicial system? It probably doesn't come as a surprise to some people listening. Yeah. So the Supreme Court did end up granting a new evidentiary hearing because uh, the new defense team for Damian Eccles came in and went to the Supreme Court because the circuit court and all this other stuff and the state court, not going to do anything. Because you just have Judge Barnett just denied constantly. Where all the evidence could be looked at. And possibly lead to a new trial. Then there was a... There was something that came completely out, out of left field. In April of 2011, the West Memphis Three actually appeared in a totally unexpected circuit court hearing on the case. So it was a new circuit court hearing in West Memphis. Uh, it did not have, I, I might not have been in West Memphis, but it was definitely in Arkansas. And Judge Barnett, or Burnett, or whatever his name, corrupt judge, clueless judge, was not presiding. There was a new judge named Judge Laser. The West Memphis Three then were asked and pretty much uh, convinced by their lawyers to put in an Alford plea, which is some weird loophole in the judicial system where they say that they are innocent, but then they also say that they are guilty so that they can be released from prison because they serve their time. Yeah, an Alford plea 
Um, in the United States, law is a guilty plea in criminal court whereby a defendant in a criminal case does not admit to the criminal act and asserts innocence. Yeah. So, <laughs> these guys just got the dick of the United States judicial system in their ass, no lube, and after the dick was done fucking them, they didn't even give them any money for their services of whoring no. themselves out for 17 years in jail. Because... 18. 18. Take another shot. Josh got another fact wrong. Um, <laughs> basically, if you were in prison for that long and you get acquitted, you have you potentially can sue the court system or whoever the fuck you sue. I don't know. I'm no lawyer. But you can sue and you can get some compensation for, the, well, for that time in jail th that you... Yeah. Were, that was taken from you but with an alfred plea you're pleading you're it goes on the books as guilty even though you're saying hey i didn't do it it's like this weird it's this weird plea to where in in the it's in the state's best interest it's basically they're letting you off and you basically can't hold them liable for anything. You can't sue yeah. them. You can't come after them. They're letting you out of jail. And you're you're basically, legally, you have no recourse in getting any money or compensation. Now, in these boys' cases, or these men's cases, I should say, these men, um, they, are, they are going to get lucky because all the fans and publicity they've gathered from being in jail... They, they, oh, and then the book, the books they're going to write. Oh, yeah. They're going to be financially, they're going to be fine. They're going to be just fine financially. But for other people, I mean, good Lord, you know, what about other cases, yeah. less publicized cases where this happens? I mean, Damon even said in the documentary, he said he was talking to the filmmakers. He's like, if it wasn't for you guys, I'd be dead. You know, this would just get swept up. They would have. Yeah, they'd kill me. It would have been, been swept under the rug, you know. We were nobodies, you know. We were white trash. Uh, it, we, I would just be a memory right now if it wasn't for you guys. Yeah. And and you know, it's crazy that that shit can uh, go down well, like that. It's it's just crazy that they get released. The West Memphis Three are free, but they're still a another fucked up addition to their legacy and to this whole situation. This whole case is well. They're still technically guilty, but they're innocent. It's like in order for them to be free, they had to admit that they were guilty. Uh, now, they could have gotten a new trial. Uh, the guy who's interviewed, I think he's like a spokesman for Arkansas, is saying that they, they feel that the chances would have been good that they would have gotten a, a new trial. And that they would have been exonerated and then they could have sued the state of Arkansas for money. But the thing is that who knows how long that would have taken. And I, I, I believe that they felt Damien, Damien's life was on the line. That's the main thing here. He didn't really have the time to wait years and years and years and years for another trial and all of that. Because he was on death row. And he had a wife that he he loved on the outside. Oh, yeah, that's another thing I wanted to kind of mention. This chick from New York who was like a... Lori. 
Yeah. She's like an architect or something like that. Yeah. She like saw the case and, you know, that they started writing to each other and they fell in love and, you know, they only, he doesn't even mention his, uh, the chick from, uh, his, the, you know, that he had the kid with, uh, she's not even brought up. Well, he mentions the kid. He mentions the kid, but, but he doesn't mention the girl. So I guess that, yeah, maybe they, ended. they weren't that, that ended more than likely, yeah. but it, it's, it was, it was nice to hear da- Damien grew up a lot in this documentary. He wrote a letter to Mark after Mark probably wrote a letter to him saying he's sorry for the stuff that he said and all of that. And the letter was very heartfelt and uh, humble. And he also said some really nice things when he was talking about what it was like being in prison. He was like, if it, a lot of people, they think about what they're going to do about all the things that they don't have. And this really has helped me appreciate the things that I do have. Damien to me in this whole documentary is one of the only likable people and one of the only adults in, out of everybody. Well, well, I think Jason's pretty likable. What what was wrong? What is what was unlikable about Jason? I mean, Jason had a great It's not that Jason was unlikable, it's just that he wasn't likable per se until the very end where he does give that speech, but I would say for Jason uh, he just came off as a fucking dope for the first two documentaries. He was just like, duh, duh, I want to say to the families of the murdered kids, uh, duh, I don't know. And then, like, the second documentary, he's like, yeah, I probably should have said something, but and he starts playing the banjo. No, I'm just joking. Um, and, and only until, like, the last documentary, when he's, like, in his, like, mid-30s, frustrated IT guy, does he finally, you know, say, he, he he ends, you know, the movie with a really great quote and it's like, oh, OK, but he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't not likable, but he wasn't likable. Nobody else in the movie was likable. I, 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 I respectfully disagree. I think all three of the of the West Memphis three had certain qualities about them. Yeah, well, Mike, I'll respectfully were... kick your ass. <laughs> Now you're the one talking over me. No, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, this redneck, all this this redneck movie has me all like it's it's awakened 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 my redneck side. <laughs> yeah, Jason. What I was saying earlier, he fell on the sword for his friend because he didn't want to take the Alfred plea. He wanted to just keep fighting it, and then he realized that his friend, his life was literally on the line, and he ended up changing his mind i wonder if those guys even like talked or were able to even keep up with each other through the years in jail you know or if they just that is interesting i don't know it's an interesting point it's a good point because you know that that would really be saying something if jason fell on the sword for damien and they hadn't even really talked that whole time that'd be even that'd be even more saying something you know well i mean it did seem like their relationship was kind of rocky. I'm, I, I remember sort of the interviews in the second film, I think, or maybe part of the first one, where it was like, we're not really, haven't really spoke to him that much. Not really, you know, I think he did it, you know, that kind of thing or something. We saw a little bit of that. I think it might have been the first one. Yeah. So... Yeah, so that that does that does that would speak volumes for sure. 
And speaking of speak volumes, I'm going to end this particular discussion on Paradise Lost 3. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll give our thoughts on the quality of the documentary to end this discussion. But I'm going to end the discussion on the documentary, you know, the stuff in the documentary, with this great quote by Jason Baldwin that ended the film with the song from Metallica, which was on uh, an album of theirs, which I think was, was it critically derided? Was that the one that was critically derided? Death Magnetic? No, Death Magnetic wasn't. It was Sane Anger. Oh yeah, for good reason. Sane Anger sucked. But uh, The Day That Never Comes, which is a really good song, I, I personally feel I, so. I just love how they, like Metallica, like it just insists on using their most recent shit, you know? We're trying to promote our new album. Use the newest song. But they still use the older ones, like Sanitarium, which is that was the, the best one. Like Lost. that, that's that song fit the mood of that docu. Like that song and that documentary will be forever t- entangled in my mind. Paradise Lost and and Sanitarium, yeah. yeah. So this is Jason Baldwin quoted here. There's something very wrong with our judicial system today. People have prejudices. People have fears. People have hates. These things cloud our ability to reason. We also have compassion, love, mercy. But what makes it so difficult in the judicial system is that the people who are there to protect and serve, they get so desensitized and they lose the ability to reason. There's got to be a way to reawaken the compassion in the people who run our justice system. On the state seal of Arkansas, on a banner, it says justice on one hand and mercy on the other. Justice is lost. It's broken. My case in point, I told the truth that I am innocent. They refuse to let me go during my trial. I take an Alford plea today, say I'm guilty, when really I'm innocent. Just say I'm guilty and take this time And what do they do? They let me go. That's not justice. It's up to us as a people to change. It starts with all of us. We got to make the decision to take each other's person, take each person on their merit and not just lump everybody into something that we hate, distrust, don't know about. These are the very principles of our country that our country is built upon, but it's so hard to practice. Hang on to that. Grab it. We need it. It's ours. It's what keeps us going. It's what keeps us alive. It's what prevents like what's going on with me and Damien and Jesse from happening. Powerful stuff. Makes me wonder, uh, did did this guy act did did Jason actually write that? I feel like it was written for him. Could have been. But how he was, you know, how he was interviewed in that segment when he was saying that, it seemed very much off the top of his head. It didn't seem like yeah. rehearsed or anything. And this is not a smart guy, so if it was... Uh, maybe maybe he got smarter. <laughs> he got older. He's older now. He maybe read, became a well-read guy. I think if you have 18 years to think about all this kind of stuff, I think maybe you kind of formulate these kind of... Uh, these grandiose thoughts and statements about these things in your head. Things, if I ever get released, this is what I would want to say. Obviously, Jesse who was even admittedly in the movie, was mildly retarded, as they said. Uh, yeah. He had trouble even entering an Alfred plea, like even wording it mm-hmm. correctly. So he's, you know, he, Jesse definitely was the, uh, not, not the guy who gave the ending quote in the movie. No, no. 
I'm surprised it wasn't Damien. Yeah, he kind of he did like the last two, I think, right? Because I mean, I know he did the la- the first one, and then like the second one, the second movie, he gave yeah. a more sobering, a more mature comment mm-hmm. rather than I hope. Yeah, he was maturing even in the second film. Yeah, but he really took the next step in the in what we what I what I saw in this one for me personally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. I, when it comes to the quality of it, what do you think? I thought that it was good. I mean, you know, these are great documentaries, folks. Don't get me wrong. Like, they are cut above almost any documentary that you're going to see. Um, I don't know about the second one, though. Yeah. I, mean, this, I wouldn't say that's a cut above every other documentary that you might see. Yeah, the any. second one, it, it's kind of like a trilogy. You know, you really do have to watch, you know... Yeah, the, the con. If you if you watch any of these out of context, like if you watch just the second one or just the third one, you'll know what's happening, but it won't be as uh, effective. I think it's like w- when you're building upon, you know, you watch the first one, which is like a masterpiece of a documentary, and then you you build on that one and then build on the next one. That that really kind of makes it exciting for me. So I was excited to see the third one, and you know, it, it was. I, I just love documentaries, so I'm easy to please in that regard. Um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I felt like they did spend about half the movie, if not longer, just kind of recapping. recapping. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely kind of one of those movies. I'm also kind of like playing candy crush on, on my phone, you know, the first like <laughs> hour. Cause I'm like, yeah, I already kind of know about all this stuff, but, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good documentary and, um, even though I feel like maybe we haven't boiled down um, the just the essence of these documentaries, maybe in the best way, um, we're just kind of going off the top of our heads here. Uh, I, I still am glad that we decided to do this for uh, the podcast as something different. What about you, Mike? Well, I I like it. I, I, I like Paradise Lost 3. I, I think it's a big step up from the second film. The second film is just average. It's okay. It's a decent documentary, but there, there, it just it has a lot of deja vu in it as well. But unlike this one, the stuff that the new stuff isn't really that interesting or or that compelling. There's a few things in the in the in the second one that that okay, some extra bits of evidence that are sort of that are interesting and intriguing. But even those bits of evidence are kind of undone by this documentary where you find out that the the mutilation that is that was done to the boys in the pictures is just by animals after death, which makes a lot of sense. Very logical. Now, but the, there's extra bits of stuff, though, here with the Alfred Plea stuff and, and with the... Uh, expert panel and all of that and the DNA evidence and this, the revelations of, of Terry Hobbs, he probably more than likely didn't do it, but there's a chance he might have because he doesn't have an alibi. And if there is one person that has been a suspect at any of these documentaries that could potentially possibly done these crimes, he's the only one to me because of the multiple inconsistencies with his story with the fact that he doesn't have an alibi and all of that. 
I don't think he did it, but I'm just saying if there's one person, like I could see why somebody would, would think that he could be a suspect. He should have been a suspect from the beginning. The crazy thing to really think about in all this is that somebody did do this. Yeah. These kids just didn't happen this way themselves. Somebody And it was somebody who was intelligent and knew what they were doing and probably did it before, did stuff like this before. I, I, I think the idea, the theory that it's some serial killer or some guy who just liked to torture kids and then shit went way too far and they died. I mean, they do mention in the documentary how the place where the kids were found was right near a truck stop. A truck stop. That's what I'm thinking. It's somebody who, like, the. I think there was, like, a serial killer. I don't know if there's a Green River killer or not, but there was a serial killer who you know, was notorious and killed a bunch of people. And he was a truck driver. Yeah. All right, well, um... So I, 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 it's it's like I said, it's a step up from the second film. I personally feel the second film you could have easily just not made that movie and just had the third film take the place of the second movie and combine some of the stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, don't really need to focus on Mark Byers as a suspect and all of that. There, there really wasn't that much there. Uh, kind of felt like grasping for straws. You could sum up the stuff with the new West, Mem- West Memphis 3, free the West Memphis 3 online movement. You could have summed that up in five minutes. And they kind of already did that in this documentary. And the other bits of information you could have just thrown in here, too. And, and all it would have done is just made this an even stronger film. So I would say you could watch the second movie. But for me personally, I think the first and the third film tie together really well. And uh, I'm looking forward to to West of Memphis, which is going to be a different perspective from a different director, different producer. Although I've heard it's a lot of deja vu for those for people who have already seen these these films, but looking forward to it regardless. And yeah, that's one of the main problems I have with this one is that the first half is a lot of deja vu, where you're just like I already yeah okay. Although it's interesting though to see. Some of the extra footage you didn't see before in the first or second film, whether it's stuff from the news broadcasts or some 16 millimeter footage that was complete with all the grain and everything intact. All right. So that was our analysis of the third installment of the West Memphis three. I hope you guys uh, enjoy this little uh, little detour we take from our normal podcast. Uh, I just I think this is a great case to talk about. And these are great documentaries. And it totally fits in with the kind of whole crime, crimey, unsolved thing of what we normally talk about. Although, if there was UFOs in this West Memphis 3 case, then that would just be the complete full circle, amazing case (laughs) for me uh, personally. But um, yeah, if you want to see more of me and Mike on the internet, uh, Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. Um, you down with OCP? Yeah, you know me. Uh, he does uh, movie reviews and various other things. Then my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I just recently talked about a bootleg ass Mega Man game on the Sega Genesis, which is completely different from anything we just got done talking about. Uh, Calling out 
nerds and here you are talking about a bootleg Mega Man game. <laughs> yeah, I'm making fun of it, though. I'm not like, oh, a new video game that I've found that's bootleg. Fantastic. Excelsior, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah can, come on admit it you're a nerd too everyone has a bit of a nerd in yeah kind of kind of sort of i know <laughs> see like nerds to me they it's not even an insult anymore like nerd. yeah you're a nerd. Well, i don't I'm i like, don't jump on any of those bandwagons it's cool to be a nerd i know now. a lot of people is like they're just throwing out you're a nerd i'm like do you like a lot of the marvel movies that have come out lately uh yeah then you're a nerd too, so shut the fuck up. Hashtag nerd culture. I don't know. I'm not. I don't like how it's like cool now. Well, I don't like that. I mean, I don't like the Big Bang Theory type nerd culture bullshit. Like that. Those aren't real nerds. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't fuck. It. I don't take anything in my life to the extreme enough to be labeled anything. Like I've never taken. Maybe. Oh, I'm. I'm definitely a nerd. I'm a movie nerd. Yes. For yes, sure. you are a movie nerd. Um, I guess at one point you could have considered me like a music nerd. Maybe like the band Rush, like a Rush nerd. Um, Mega Man nerd. A what? Come on. A Mega Man nerd. Oh, Mega Man. Yeah, kind of, but I don't really play like Mega Man Battle Network uh, or the Zero series or anything like that. So I don't know. I'm the fucking. Well, we're, we're both unsolved mysteries nerds. There, so there you go. That's I am. I definitely nerd out for unsolved mysteries. So anyway, for uh, myself and Mike, I guess that's all the plugs and everything like that. Uh, we'll yep. resume our regularly scheduled programming next week. But until then, have a good day or night or whatever. See ya. What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, if you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. Uh, music is sold online or go to bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. I'm pressing record as well. But I'm gonna be somebody. Beautiful. Say something into the... I'm gonna make my stand From the inside to the outside Uh, Tsunami Stout. <laughs> Alright, I can I can work with all, all any, any and all of that, I'm sure. The beautiful that's singing on, and the... That's on the bottom of a couple of... Uh, not a cup holder. What the fuck is the name for these things? You put your drink on top. Uh, coaster? Coaster. Drink coaster. There we go. I don't know why they call it a coaster. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Out of all the mysteries in life, that's like number 1,162 1, for me. 1,062. <laughs> all right. Let, let's, let's get started. Oh, okay. Let's see. Uh, it's 60, started. 63. Yeah, I gotta go grab some fucking cookies or something. I'm fucking starving. I gotta eat something <laughs> real quick. 
That's fine. 14, 15. <laughs> I'll be right back. Alright. I'm gonna be somebody. I'm gonna make my stand. I'm gonna be somebody. Dun, dun, dun. From the inside to the outside. Dun, 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 dun. Alright, I'm back. All right, I had to shove some cookies down my throat. It's like, oh, I need to. Go. I got food, my groceries. I got cookies. nothing for the hurricane. Cookies. No, I know how that is. I'm gonna have to get some lunch after dinner after this. I ate a Cliff Bar before this, but it might be starting to wear off a little bit. I used to eat Cliff Bars when I would work at CVS, and that bitch kept me satisfied for like an hour and a half, and I was hungry again. <laughs> Fucking hot as hell in here. Oh, I always turn the AC down or up or whatever you say. Down? What makes it colder? Do you say turn it down or turn it up? I don't know. I think it's down. I turn the AC down. So, yeah. you know, I try to make it like... I would say that Johnny Carson, when he hosted The Tonight Show, the studio was always freezing. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's so the guests' uh, makeup and shit wouldn't run, you know? Because all the lights and shit, it must have like gotten hot in there if they didn't have air conditioning. So they like cranked yeah. up the AC and shit. So I always try to do that yeah. on the podcast so I don't become a sweaty mess <laughs> and just melt. Because you know I'm on the same, I'm on par, you on know, with uh, the Tonight Show. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we were talking about how the West Memphis Three had a stacked deck. <laughs> 